Rincewind didn't even bother to argue. You're going to have to sort this out, said Scrappy. You're the cause. I'm not. Things happen to me, not the other way round. I could disembowel you with a kick, you know. Would you like to see? Er, uh, no. Haven't you noticed that by running away you end up in more trouble? Yes, but you see, you can run away from that too, said Rincewind. That's the beauty of the system. Dead is only for once, but running away is forever. Ah, but it is said that a coward dies a thousand deaths while a hero dies only one. Yes, but it's the important one. Aren't you ashamed? No, I'm going home. I'm going to find this city called Bugger Up, find a boat and go home. Bugger Up? Don't tell me the place doesn't exist. Ah, no, it's a big place. And that's where you're going? And don't try to stop me. I can see you made up your mind, said Scrappy. Read my lips. Your moustache is in the way. Read my beard, then. The kangaroo shrugged. In that case, I've got no choice but to carry on helping you, I suppose. Rincewind drew himself up. I'll find my own way, he said. You don't know the way. I'll ask someone. What about food? You'll starve. Ah, that's where you're wrong, Rincewind snapped. I've got this amazing power. Watch. He lifted up a nearby stone, extracted what was underneath and flourished it. See? Impressed, eh? Very. Aha! Scrappy nodded. I've never seen anyone do that with a scorpion before. The god was sitting high up in a tree, working on a particularly promising beetle, when the bursa ambled past far below. Well, at last, one of them had found it. The god had spent some time watching the wizard's attempts at boat building, although he had been unable to fathom out what it was they were trying to do. As far as he could tell, they were showing some interest in the fact that wood floated. Well, it did float, didn't it? He threw the beetle into the air. It hummed into life at the top of the ark and flew away, a smear of iridescence among the treetops. The god drifted out of his tree and followed the bursa. The god hadn't made up his mind about these creatures yet, but the island was, unfortunately and against all his careful planning, throwing up all sorts of odd things. These were obviously social creatures, with some of the individuals designed for specific tasks. The hairy red one was designed for climbing trees, and the dreamy ant-stamping one for walking into them. Possibly the reasons for this would become apparent. "'Ah, Bursa,' said the dean heartily. "'How would you like a brief trip round the lagoon?' The Bursa looked at the soaking log and sought for words. Sometimes, when he really needed to... It was possible to get Mr. Brain and Mr. Mouth all lined up together. I had a boat once, he said. Well done. And here's another one just for... It was green. Really? Well, we can... I found another green boat, said the bursar. It's floating in the water. Yes, yes, I'm sure you have said Ridcully kindly. A big boat with lots of sails, I expect. Now then, Dean. Just one sail, said the bursar, and a bare, naked lady on the front. Hovering imminently, the god cursed. He'd never intended the figurehead. Sometimes he really wanted to just break down and cry. Bare, naked lady, said the dean. Settle down, Dean, said the senior wrangler. He's probably just had too many dried frog pills. It's going up and down in the water, said the bursar. Up and down, up and down. The Dean looked at their own creation. Contrary to all expectations, it did not go up and down in the water. It stayed exactly where it was, and the water went up and down over it. This is an island, he said. I suppose someone could have sailed here, couldn't they? What kind of bare-naked lady? Um, a dusky one. Really, Dean? Spirit of inquiry, senior angler. Important biogeographical information. The bursar waited until his brain came round again. Green, he volunteered. That is not a natural colour for a human being, clothed or not said the senior wrangler. She might be seasick, said the dean. There was only the vaguest of wistful longings in his head, 
but he did not want to let go of it. "'Going up and down,' said the bursar. "'I suppose we could have a look,' said the dean. "'What about Mrs Whitlow? She hasn't been out of her hut yet.' "'She can come too if she likes,' said the dean. "'I don't think we can expect Mrs Whitlow to go looking at a bare, naked lady, "'even if this one is green,' said the senior wrangler. "'Why not? She must have seen at least one. "'Not green, of course.' "'The senior wrangler drew himself up. "'There's no call for that sort of imputation,' he said. "'What? Well, obviously she—' "'The dean stopped. "'The big leaves on Mrs Whitlow's hut were pushed aside and she emerged. "'It was probably the flower in her hair. "'That was certainly the crowning glory. "'But she'd also done things to her dress. "'There was, for a start, less of it. "'Since the word is derived from an island that did not exist on the Discworld, "'the wizards had never heard of a bikini.' In any case, what Mrs Whitlow had sewn together out of her dress was a lot more substantial than a bikini. It was more a New Zealand. Two quite large, respectable halves, separated by a narrow channel. She'd also tied some of the spare cloth around her waist, sarong style. In short, it was a very proper item of clothing, but it looked as if it wasn't. It was as if Mrs Whitlow was wearing a fig leaf six feet square. It was still just a fig leaf. "'I thought this might be a little more suitable for the heat,' she said. "'Of course, I wouldn't dream of wearing it in the university, "'but since we appear to be here for a little while, "'I remembered a picture I saw of Queen Zazumba of Sumtree. "'Is there anywhere I could have a bath, do you think?' <laughs> said the senior wrangler. "'The dean coughed.' "'There is a little pool in the jungle.' "'With water lilies in it,' said the chair of indefinite studies. "'Pink ones,' <sighs> said the senior wrangler. "'And there's a waterfall,' said the dean. <sighs> "'And a soap bush, as a matter of fact.' "'They watched her walk away.' "'Up and down, up and down,' said the bursar. "'A fine figure of a woman,' said Ridcully. "'She walks differently without her shoes on, doesn't she? Uh, "'Are you all right, senior wrangler?' "'I think the heat's getting to you. "'You've gone very red.' "'I'm... I'm... Oh, gosh, it is hot, isn't it? "'I think perhaps... <clears throat> "'I should have a dip, too.' "'In the lagoon,' said Ridcully, meaningfully. Uh, "'Oh, the, the, the salt is very bad for the skin, Arch-Chancellor.' "'Quite so. Nevertheless, or you can go looking for the pool when Mrs Whitlow comes back.' "'I find it uh, rather insulting, Arch-Chancellor, that you should appear to think that... Uh, "'Well done,' said Ridcully. "'Now, shall we go and look at this boat?' Half an hour later, all the wizards were assembled on the opposite shore. It was green, and it bobbed up and down. It was clearly a ship, but built perhaps by someone who'd had a very detailed book of shipbuilding, which nevertheless didn't have any pictures in it. There was a blurriness of the detail. The figurehead, for example, was certainly vaguely female, although to the dean's disappointment it had the same detail as a half-sucked jelly baby. It put the senior wrangler in mind of Mrs Whitlow, although currently rocks, trees, clouds and coconuts also reminded him of Mrs Whitlow. And then there was the sail. It was, without a shadow of a doubt, a leaf. And once you realised that it was a leaf, then a certain marrow or pumpkin quality about the rest of the vessel began to creep over you. Ponder coughed. There are some plants which rely for propagation on floating seeds he said in a small voice. The common coconut, for example, has... Does it have a figurehead? said Ridcully. Uh, one variety of mangrove fruit has a sort of keel, which... And a sail? With what looks very much like rigging? said Ridcully. Uh, no. And what are those flowers on the top? Ridcully demanded. Where a crow's nest would be was a cluster of trumpet-shaped flowers, like green daffodils. 
Who cares? said the chair of indefinite studies. It's a ship, even if it is a giant pumpkin, and it looks as though there's room for all of us. He brightened up. Even if it is a bit of a squash, he added. It has appeared very fortuitously, said Ridcully. I wonder why. I said, even if it is a bit of a squash, said the chair of indefinite studies, because a squash, you see, is another name for... Yes, I know, said Ridcully, looking thoughtfully at the bobbing vessel. I was only attempting to... Thank you for sharing, chair. Actually, it does look pretty roomy, said the dean, ignoring the chair's pained expression. I vote we load up with provisions and go. Um, where to? said Ridcully. Somewhere where fearsome reptiles don't suddenly turn into birds, the dean snapped. You'd prefer it the other way round, said Ridcully. He started to wade out into the water until, armpit deep, he was able to bang on the side of the hull with his staff. I think you are being a little obtuse, Mustrum, said the dean. Really? How many types of carnivorous plants are there, Mr. Stibbons? Dozens, sir. And they eat prey up to no upper limit in the case of the sapu tree of Sumtri, sir. The sledgehammer plant of Bang Bang Duck takes the occasional human victim who doesn't see the mallet hidden in the greenery. There's quite a few that can take anything up to rat size. The pyramid strangler vine really only preys on other more stupid plants. But I just think that there's something very odd about a boat-shaped plant turning up just when we want a boat said Ridcully. I mean, chocolate coconuts, yes, and even filter-tipped cigarettes. But a boat with a figurehead? It's not a proper boat without a figurehead, said the senior wrangler. Yes, but how does it know that, said Ridcully, wading ashore again. Well, I'm not falling for it. I want to know what's going on here. Damn! They all heard the voice thin, reedy, and petulant. It came from everywhere around them. Small, soft, white lights appeared in the air, spun around one another with increasing speed, and then imploded. The god blinked and rocked back and forth as he tried to steady himself. "'How, oh, my goodness,' he said. "'What do I look like?' He held up a hand in front of his face and flexed his fingers experimentally. "'Ah!' The hand patted his face his bald head, and lingered for a moment on the long white beard. He seemed puzzled. "'What's this?' he said. "Eh, uh, a beard?' said Ponder. The god looked down at his long white robe. "'Oh, patriarchality. Ah, oh, well, let me see now.' He seemed to pull himself together, focused his gaze on Ridcully, and his huge white eyebrows met like angry caterpillars. <clears throat> "'Be gone from this place, or I will smite thee!' he commanded. "'Why?' the god looked taken aback. "'Why? You can't ask why in this situation?' "'Why not?' the god looked slightly panicky. "'Because uh, thou must go from this place, lest I visit thee with boils.' "'Really?' Most people would bring a bottle of wine, said Ridcully. The god hesitated. What? he said. Or cake, said the dean. Cake is a good present if you're visiting someone. It depends on what kind of cake, said the senior wrangler. Sponge cake, I've always thought, is a bit of an insult. Something with a bit of marzipan is to be preferred. Be gone from this place, lest I visit you with cake said the god. It's better than boils, said Ridcully. Provided it's not sponge, said the senior wrangler. The problem faced by the god was that, while he had never encountered wizards before, the wizards had in their student days met, more or less on a weekly basis, things that threatened them horribly as a matter of course. Boils didn't hold much of a menace when rogue demons had wanted to rip your head off and do terrible things down the hole. Listen! said the god. I happen to be the god in these parts, do you understand? I am, in fact, omnipotent. 
I'd prefer that, um, what is it, you know, the, the cake with the pink and yellow squares, muttered the senior wrangler, because wizards tend to follow a thought all the way through. You're a bit small, then, said the dean, and the uh, sugary marzipan on the outside. Mm, it's marvellous stuff. The god finally realised what else had been bothering him. Scale was always tricky in these matters. Being three feet high was not adding anything to his authority. Damn, he said again. Why am I so small? Size isn't everything, said Ridcully. People always smirk when they say that. I can't think why. You're absolutely right, snapped the god, as if Ridcully had triggered an entirely new train of thought. Look at amoebas, except that of course you can't because they're so small. Adaptable, efficient and practically immortal. Wonderful things, amoebas. His little eyes misted over. Best day's work I ever did. Excuse me, sir, but exactly what kind of god are you? said Ponder. And is there cake or not? said the senior wrangler. The god glared up at him. I beg your pardon, he said. I meant, what is it that you're the god of? said Ponder. I said, what about this cake you're supposed to have? said the senior wrangler. Senior wrangler? Yes, asked Chancellor. Cake is not the issue here. But he said, your comments have been taken on board, senior wrangler, and they will be thrown over the side as soon as we leave harbour. Mm. Do continue, god, please. For a moment, the god looked in a thunderbolt mood and then sagged. He sat down on a rock. Oh, all that smiting talk doesn't really work, does it? He said gloomily. You don't have to be nice about it, I could tell. I could give you boils, you understand. It's just that I can't really see the point. They clear up after a while anyway. And it is rather bullying people, isn't it? To tell you the truth, I'm something of an atheist. Sorry, said Ridcully, you are an atheist god? The god looked at their expressions. Yes, I know, he said. It's a bit of a bottomer, isn't it? He stroked his long white beard. Why exactly have I got this? You didn't shave this morning, said Ridcully. I mean, I simply tried to appear in front of you in a form that you recognise as godly, said the god. A long beard and a nightshirt seem to be the thing, although the facial hair is a little puzzling. It's a sign of wisdom, said Ridcully. Said to be, said Ponder, who'd never been able to grow one. Wisdom, insight, acumen, learning, said the god thoughtfully. Oh, the length of the hair improves the operation of the cognitive functions. Some sort of... Cooling arrangement, perhaps? Mm, never really thought about it, said Ridcully. The beard gets longer as more wisdom is acquired, said the god. I'm not sure it's actually a case of cause and effect, Ponder ventured. I'm afraid I don't get about as much as I should, said the god sadly. To be frank, I find religion rather offensive. He heaved a big sigh and seemed to look even smaller. "'Honest, I really do try, but there are some days when life just gets me down. "'Oh, excuse me, liquid seems to be running out of my breathing tubes.' "'Would you like to blow your nose?' said Ponder. "'The god looked panicky. "'Where to?' "'I mean, you sort of... hold, look, here's my handkerchief. "'You just sort of put it over your nose and sort of, well, snuffle into it.' "'Snuffle,' said the god. "'Interesting. "'And what a curiously white leaf.' "'No, it's a cotton handkerchief,' said Ponder. "'It's made.' He stopped there. He knew that handkerchiefs were made and cotton was involved, and he had some vague recollection of looms and things, but when you got right down to it, you obtained handkerchiefs by going into a shop and saying, "'I'd like a dozen of the reinforced white ones, please.' And how much do you charge for embroidering initials in the corners? You mean, created, said the god, suddenly very suspicious. Are you gods too? Beside his foot a small shoot pushed through the sand and began to grow rapidly.
No, no, said Ponder. Um, you just take some cotton and, and, and hammer it flat, I think, and you get handkerchiefs. Oh, then you're tool-using creatures, said the god, relaxing a little. The shoot near his foot was already a plant now and putting out leaves and a flower bud. He blew his nose loudly. The wizards drew closer. They were not, of course, afraid of gods, but gods tended to have uncertain tempers, and a wise man kept away from them. However, it's hard to be frightened of someone who's having a good blow. You, uh, you really the, um, the god in these parts? said Ridcully. The god sighed. Yes, he said. I thought it would be so easy, you know, just one small island. I could start all over again, do it properly, but it's all going completely wrong. Beside him, the little plant opened a nondescript yellow flower. Start all over again? Yes, you know, godliness. The god waved a hand in the direction of the hub. I used to work over there he said. Basic general godding, you know, making people out of clay, old toenails and so on, and then sitting on mountain tops and casting thunderbolts and all the rest of it. Although, he leaned forward and lowered his voice, very few gods can actually do that, you know. Really? said Ridcully, fascinated. Very hard thing to steer, lightning. "'Mostly we waited until a thunderbolt happened to hit some poor soul "'and then spake in a voice of thunder "'and said it was his fault for being a sinner. "'I mean, they were bound to have done something, weren't they?' "'The god blew his nose again. <sighs> "'Quite depressing, really. "'Anyway, I suppose the rot set in "'when I tried to see if it was possible to breed a more inflammable cow.' "'He looked at the questioning expressions.' Burnt offerings, you see. Cows don't actually burn all that well. They're naturally rather soggy creatures, and frankly everyone was running out of wood. They carried on staring at him. He tried again. I really couldn't see the point of the whole business, to tell you the truth. Shouting, smiting, getting angry all the time. Don't think anyone was getting anything out of it, really. But the worst part, you know the worst part... The worst part was that if you actually stopped the smiting, people wandered off and worshipped someone else. It's hard to believe, isn't it? They'd say things like, things were a lot better when there was more smiting, and if there was more smiting, it'd be a lot safer to walk the streets. Especially since all that had really happened was that some poor shepherd who had just happened to be in the wrong place during a thunderstorm had caught a stray bolt. And then the priests would say, Well, we all know about shepherds, don't we? And now the gods are angry, and we could do with a much bigger temple, thank you. Typical priestly behaviour, sniffed the dean. But they often believed it, the god almost wailed. It was really so depressing. I think that before we made humanity, we broke the mould. There'd be a bad weather front, a few silly shepherds would happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, and next thing you know it was standing room only on the sacrificial stones, and you couldn't see for the smoke. He had another good blow on a piece of Ponder's handkerchief that had so far remained dry. I mean, I tried. God knows I tried. And since that's me, I don't know what I'm talking about. Thou shalt lie down flat in thundery weather, I said. "'Thou shalt sight the midden a long way from the well,' I said. "'I even told them, thou shalt really try to get along with one another.' "'Did it work?' "'I can't say for sure. "'Everyone was slaughtered by the followers of the god in the next valley "'who told them to kill everyone who didn't believe in him. "'Ghastly fellow, I'm afraid.' "'And the flaming cows,' said Ridcully. "'The what?' said the god, sunk in misery. "'The more inflammable cow,' said Ponder. "'Oh, yes. Another good idea that didn't work. I just thought, you know, that if you could find the bit in, say, an oak tree which says, "'Be inflammable,' and glue it into the bit of the cow which says, "'Be soggy,' it'd save a lot of trouble. Unfortunately, that produced a sort of bush that made distressing noises and squirted milk.' 
but I could see that the, the, the principle was sound. And frankly, since my believers were all dead or living in the next valley by then, I thought to hell with it all. I'd come back here and get to grips with it and do it all more, more sensibly. He brightened up a bit. You know, it's amazing what you get if you break even the common cow down into very small bits. Soup, said Red Cully, because sooner or later, everything is just a set of instructions. The god went on, apparently not listening. "'That's just what I've always said,' said Ponder. "'Have you?' said the god, peering at him. "'Well, anyway, that's how it all began. "'I thought it would be a much better idea "'to create creatures that could change their own instructions "'when they needed to, you see.' "'Oh, you mean evolution,' said Ponder Stibbons. "'Do I?' the god looked thoughtful. "'Changing over time.' Yes, that's actually quite a good word, isn't it? Evolution. Yes, I suppose that's what I do. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem to be working properly. Beside him there was a pop. The little plant had fruited. Its pod had sprung open, and there appeared to be, bunched up like a chrysanthemum, a fresh white hanky. Oh, you see, he said, that's the sort of thing I'm up against. Everything is so completely selfish about it. He took the handkerchief in an absent-minded way, blew his nose on it, crumpled it up and dropped it on the ground. "'I'm sorry about the boat,' he continued. "'It was a bit of a rush job, you see. I just didn't want anyone upsetting everything, but I really don't believe in smiting, so I thought that since you wanted to leave here, I should help you do so as soon as possible. I think I did a rather good job in the circumstances. It'll find a new land automatically, I think. So why didn't you go?' The um, bare-naked lady on the front was, was a, a bit of a giveaway, said Ridcully. The what? The god peered in the direction of the boat. These eyes are not particularly efficient. Hmm. Oh dear, yes, the figure. Morphic bloody resonance again. Will you stop doing that? The handkerchief plant had just put forth another fruit. The god narrowed his eyes, pointed his finger and incinerated it. As one man, the wizard stepped back. Ah, stop concentrating for five minutes and everything loses any sense of discipline, said the god. Everything wants to make itself damn useful. I can't think why. Sorry, am I getting this right? You're a god of evolution, said Ponder. Um, is that wrong, said the god anxiously. But it's been happening for ages, sir. Has it? But I only started a few years ago. Do you mean someone else is doing it? I'm afraid so, sir, said Ponder. People breed dogs for fierceness and racehorses for speed, and, well, even my uncle can do amazing things with his nuts, sir. And everyone knows that you can cross a river with a bridge, <laughs> said Ridcully. Can you? said the god of evolution seriously. I'd have thought that you simply get some very soggy wood. Oh, dear. Ridcully winked at Ponder Stibbons. Gods were often not good at humour, and this one was even worse than Ridcully. "'We're back in time, Mr Stibbons,' he said. "'It may not have happened already, yet, hmm?' "'Oh, yes,' said Ponder. "'Anyway, two gods of evolution wouldn't be a bad thing, would they?' said Ridcully. "'Makes it a lot more interesting. The one who's best at it would win.' The god stared at him with his mouth open. Then he shut it just enough to mouth Ridcully's words to himself, snapped his fingers, and vanished in a puff of little white lights. "'Now you've done it,' said the lecturer in recent rooms. "'No cake for you,' said the bursar. "'All I said was the one who's best at it would win,' said Ridcully. "'Actually, he didn't look upset,' said Ponder. "'He looked as if he'd suddenly realised something.' Ridcully looked up at the small mountain in the centre of the island and appeared to reach a decision. All right, we'll leave, he said. The reason this island's so odd is that some rather daft god is messing around with it. That's a pretty good explanation as far as I'm concerned. But, sir, Ponder began, see that little vine just by the senior wrangler there? It's only been growing for the last ten minutes, said the dean. It looked like a small cucumber vine, except that the fruits were yellow and oblong. 
"'Pass me your penknife, Mr. Stibbons,' said Ridcully. Ridcully sliced the fruit in half. It wasn't fully ripe yet, but the pattern of pink and yellow squares was clearly visible, surrounded by a layer of something sticky and sweet. "'But I only thought about that cake ten minutes ago,' said the senior wrangler. "'Seems perfectly logical to me,' said Ridcully. "'I mean, here we are, wizards, we move about.' We want to leave the island. What will we take with us? Anyone? Food, obviously, said Ponder, but right. If I was a vegetable, I'd want to make myself useful in a hurry, yes? No good hanging around for a thousand years just growing bigger seeds. No fear. All those other plants might come up with a better idea in the meantime. No, you see an opportunity and you go for it. <laughs> there might not be another boat along for years. Millennia, said the dean. Even longer, Ridcully agreed. Survival of the fastest, eh? So I suggest we load up and go, gentlemen. What? Just like that? said Ponder. Certainly. Why not? But, 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 but think of the things we could learn here, said Ponder. The possibilities are breathtaking. At least there's a god who's actually got the right idea. At least we can get some answers to all the important questions. We could... We can. Look, we can't just go. I mean... Go? I mean, we're wizards, aren't we? He was aware that he had their full attention, something that wizards did not often give. Usually they defined listening as a period in which you worked out what you were going to say next. It was disconcerting. Then the spell broke. The senior wrangler shook his head. Curious way of looking at things, he said, turning away. So, I vote we take plenty of those cheese nuts, Arch-Chancellor. "'Good provisioning is the essence of successful exploration,' said the dean. "'Quite a roomy vessel, too, so we needn't stint.' "'Ridcully pulled himself aboard via a trailing tendril and sniffed. <sighs> "'Smells rather like pumpkin,' he said. "'Always liked pumpkin, a very versatile vegetable.' "'Ponder put a hand over his eyes. "'Oh, really?' he said wearily. A group of unseen university wizards are seriously considering putting to sea on an edible boat? Fried, boiled, a good base for a soup stock, and of course, excellent in pies, said the Arch-Chancellor happily. Also, the seeds are a tasty snack. Good with butter, said the Chair of Indefinite Studies. I suppose there isn't a butter plant anywhere, is there? There will be soon, said the Dean. Give us a hand up, will you, Arch-Chancellor? Ponder exploded. I don't believe this, he said. You're turning your back on an astonishing God-given opportunity. Absolutely, Mr. Stibbons, said Ridcully from above. No offence meant, of course, but if the choice is a trip on the briny deep or staying on a small island with someone trying to create a more inflammable cow, then you can call me Salty Sam. Is this the poop deck? said the dean. "'I hope not,' said Ridcully briskly. "'You see, Stibbons?' "'Are you sure?' said the Dean. "'I'm sure, Dean. "'You see, Stibbons, when you've had a little more experience in these matters, "'you'll learn that there's nothing more dangerous than a god with too much time on his hands.' "'Except an enraged mother bear,' said the senior wrangler. "'No, they're far more dangerous, not when they're really close.' If it was the poop deck, how would we know? said the dean. Ponder shook his head. There were times when the desire to climb the thaumaturgical ladder was seriously blunted, and one of them was when you saw what was on top. I, I, I just don't know what to say, he said. I am frankly astonished. "'Well done, lad. So run along and get some bananas, will you? "'Green ones will keep better. And don't look so upset. "'When it comes to gods, I have to say, "'you can give me one of the make-out-of-clay-and-smite-em brigade any day of the week. "'That's the kind of god you can deal with.' "'The practically human sort,' said the dean. "'Exactly.' "'Call me overly picky,' said the chair of indefinite studies.' but I'd prefer not to be around a god who might suddenly decide I'd run faster with three extra legs. Exactly. Is there something wrong, Stibbons? Oh, he's gone. Oh, well, no doubt he'll be back. And, uh, Dean, 
Yes, Arch-Chancellor. I can't help thinking you're working up to some sort of horrible joke about a poop deck. I'd prefer not, if it's all the same to you. You all right, mate? No one in the world had ever been so pleased to see Crocodile Crocodile before. Rincewind let himself be pulled upright. His hand, against all expectation, was not blue and three times its normal size. That bloody kangaroo, he muttered, using the hand to wave away the eternal flies. What kangaroo was that, mate? said the crocodile, helping him back towards the pub. Rincewind looked around. There were just the normal components of the local scenery, dry-looking bushes, red dirt, and a million circling flies. The one I was talking to just now. I was just sweeping up, and I saw you dancing around yelling, said the crocodile. I didn't see no kangaroo. It's probably a magic kangaroo, said Rincewind wearily. Oh, right, a magic kangaroo, said Crocodile. No worries. I think maybe I'd better make you up the cure for drinking too much beer, mate. What's the cure? More beer. How much beer did I have last night, then? Ah, about twenty pints. Don't be silly, no one can even hold that much beer. Oh, you didn't hang on to much of it at all, mate. No worries. We like a man who can't hold his beer. In the fetid flea pit of Rincewind's brain, the projectionist of memory put on reel two. Recollection began to flicker. He shuddered. Was I singing a song, he said. Too right. You kept pointing to the beer poster and finging. The crocodile's huge jaws moved as he tried to remember. Timey kangaroo up. Bloody good song. And then I... Then you lost all your money playing two up with Daggy's shearing gang. That's, I, uh, there were these two coins and the bloke had tossed them in the air and you had to bet on how they'd come down. Right, and you kept betting they wouldn't come down at all. Said it was bound to happen sooner or later. You got good odds, though. I lost all the money Mad gave me? Yep. How was I paying for my beer, then? Ah, the blokes was queuing up to buy it for you. They said you were better than a day at the races. And then I, um, there was something about sheep. He looked horrified. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. You said, strain the fraying crones a dollar a time for giving a sheep a haircut. I could do a beautiful soft job like that with my eyes shut. Two right, no flaming worries, boy. Off, bonds a shoot through ye gods. This is good beer. Oh gods! Did anyone hit me? Nah, mate. They reckoned you were a good sport, especially when you wagered five hundred squids. You could beat their best man at shearing. I couldn't have done that. I'm not a betting man. Well, I am, and if you've been shooting a line, I wouldn't give a tuppence for your chances, Rinso. Rinso, said Rincewind weakly. He looked at his beer glass. What's in this stuff? Your mate Mad said you were this big wizard and could kill people by just pointing at them and shouting, said Crocodile. I wouldn't mind seeing that. Rincewind looked up desperately and his eye caught the Rue Beer poster. It showed some of the damn silly trees they had there and the arid red earth and nothing else. Huh? What's that? said the crocodile. What happened to the kangaroo? Rincewind said hoarsely. What kangaroo? There was a kangaroo on that poster last night, wasn't there? Crocodile peered at the poster. I'm better at smell, he admitted at last, but I've got to admit it, it smells like it's gone. Something very strange is going on here, said Rincewind. This is a very strange country. We got an opera house, Crocodile volunteered. That's culture. And 93 words for being sick? Yeah, well, we're a very vocal people. Did I really bet 500, what was it? Squids. Squids I haven't got. Yep. So I'll probably get killed if I lose, right? Nah, worries. I wish people had stopped saying that. He caught sight of the poster again. That kangaroo's back! 
The crocodile turned around awkwardly, walked up to the poster and sniffed. <coughs> Could be, he said cautiously. And it's facing the wrong way. Take it easy, mate, said Crocodile Dongo, looking concerned. Rincewind shuddered. You're right, he said. It's the heat and the flies getting to me. It must be. Dongo poured him another beer. Ah, well, beer's good for the heat, he said. Can't do anything about the bloody flies, though. Rincewind started a nod and stopped. He removed his hat and looked at it critically. Then he waved a hand up and down in front of his face, temporarily dislodging a few flies. Finally, he looked thoughtfully at a row of bottles. Got any string, he said. After a few experiments and some mild concussion, Dongo advanced the opinion that it'd be better with just the corks. The luggage was lost. Usually it could find its way anywhere in time and space, but trying to do that now was like a man trying to keep his footing on two moving walkways heading in opposite directions, and it simply couldn't cope. It knew it had been stuck underground for a long time, but it also knew that it had been stuck underground for about five minutes. The luggage had no brain as such, even though an outsider might well get the impression that it could think. What it did do was react, in quite complex ways, to its environment. Usually this involved finding something to kick, as is the case with most sapient creatures. Currently it was ambling along a dusty track. Occasionally its lid would snap at flies, but without much enthusiasm. Its opal coating glowed in the sunlight. Oh, isn't that pretty? Fetch it here, you two. It paid no attention to the brightly coloured cart that stopped a little way along the track. It was possibly aware at some level that people had got out and were staring at it, but it didn't resist when they appeared to reach a decision and lifted it onto the cart. It didn't know where it had to go, and since it also didn't know where this cart was going, perhaps it would take it there. It waited a decent while after it had been put down, and then took in its surroundings. It had been stacked up by a lot of other boxes and suitcases, which was comforting. After five minutes spent being underground for millions of years, the luggage felt that it was due some quality time. And it didn't even resist when someone opened its lid and filled it up with shoes. Quite large shoes, the luggage noticed, and many of them with interesting heels and inventive ways with silk and sequins. They were clearly ladies' shoes. That was good, the luggage thought, or emoted, or reacted. Ladies tended to lead quieter lives. The purple cart rumbled off, painted crudely on the back, with the words, Petunia, the Desert Princess. Rincewind looked hard at the shears that the head shearer was waving. They looked sharp. You know what we do to people who go back on a bet round here? said Daggy, the gang boss. Um, but I was drunk. So were we. So what? Rincewind looked out across the sheep pens. He knew what sheep were, of course, and had come into contact with them on many occasions, although normally in the company of mixed vegetables. He'd even had a toy stuffed lamb as a child. But there is something hugely unlovable about sheep, a kind of mad, eye-rolling brainlessness smelling of damp wool and panic. Many religions extol the virtues of the meek, but Rincewind had never trusted them. The meek could turn very nasty at times. On the other hand, they were covered in wool, and the shears looked pretty keen. How hard could it be? His radar told him that trying and failing was probably a lot less of a crime than not trying at all. Can I have a trial run, he said. A sheep was dragged out of the pens and flung down in front of him. Rincewind gave Daggy what he hoped was the smile of one craftsman to another, but smiling at Daggy was like throwing meringues against a cliff. Um, can I have a chair and a towel and two mirrors and a comb, he said. Daggy's look of intense suspicion deepened. What's this? What do you want all that for? Uh, got to do it properly, haven't I? Away, out of sight, at the back of the shearing shed, on the sun-bleached boards, the outline of a kangaroo began to form. And then, the white lines drifting across the wood like wisps of cloud across a clear sky, it began to change shape. Rincewind hadn't had a proper haircut in a long time, but he knew how it was done. So, have you, uh, have you had your holidays this year, then? he said, clipping away. 
What about this weather, eh? Rincewind said desperately. The sheep wasn't even trying to struggle. It was an old one, with fewer teeth than feet, and even in the very limited depths of its extremely shallow mind, it knew that this wasn't how shearing was supposed to go. Shearing was supposed to be a brief struggle followed by a glorious, cool freedom back in the paddock. It wasn't supposed to include searching questions about what it thought of this weather, or inquiries as to whether it required something for the weekend, especially since the sheep had no concept of the connotations of the term weekend, or if it came to that of the word something either. People weren't supposed to splash lavender water in its ear. The shearers watched in silence. There was quite a crowd of them, because they'd gone and fetched everyone else on the station. They knew in their souls that here was something to tell their grandchildren. Rincewind stood back, looked critically at his handiwork, and then showed the sheep the back of its head in the mirror, at which point the creature cracked, managed to get its feet under it, and made a run for the paddock. "'Hey, wait till I take the curlers out!' Rincewind shouted after it. He became aware of the shearers watching him. Finally, one of them said, in a stunned voice, "'That's sheep shearing where you come from, is it?' Uh, "'What did you think?' said Rincewind. "'It's a bit slow, isn't it? "'How fast was I supposed to go?' "'Well, Daggy here once nearly did fifty in an hour. "'That's what you've got to beat, see? "'None of that fancy rubbish. "'Just short back, front, top and sides.' "'Mind you,' said one of the shearers wistfully, "'that was a beautiful-looking sheep.' "'There was an outbreak of bleating from the sheep corals. "'Ready to give it a real go, Rinso,' said Daggy. "'Ye gods, what's that?' said one of his mates. "'The fence shattered. "'A ram stood in the gap, shaking its head "'to dislodge bits of post from its horns. "'Steam rose from its nostrils.' Most of the things Rincewind had associated with sheep, apart from the gravy and mint sauce, had to do with sheepishness. But this was a ram, and the word association was suddenly rampage. It pawed the ground. It was a lot bigger than the average sheep. In fact, it seemed to fill Rincewind's entire future. That's not one of mine, said the flock's owner. Daggy placed his shears in Rincewind's other hand and patted him on the back. This one's yours, mate he said, and backed away. You're here to show us how it's done, eh, mate? Rincewind looked down at his feet. They weren't moving. They remained firmly fixed to the ground. The ram advanced, snorting and looking Rincewind in the bloodshot eye. OK, it whispered when it was very close. You just make with the shears and the sheep will do the rest. No worries. Is that you? said Rincewind, glancing at the distant ring of watchers. Eh, good one. Ready? They'll do what I do. They're like sheep, OK? The shearers watched as wool fell like rain. That's something you don't often see, said one of them. Them standing on the reds like that. The cartwheels is good, said another shearer, lighting his pipe. I mean, for sheep. Rincewind just hung on to the shears. They had a life of their own. The sheep flung themselves against the clippers as if in a real hurry to get into something more comfortable. Fleeces curled around his ankles, then around his knees, rose above his waist, and then the shears were slicing the air and sizzling as they cooled down. Several dozen dazed sheep were watching him very suspiciously. So were the sheep shearers. Um, have we started the competition yet? he said. You just sheared thirty sheep in two minutes, roared Daggy. Is that good? Good? No one takes two minutes for thirty sheep. Well, I'm sorry, but I can't go any faster. The shearers went into a huddle. Rincewind looked around for the ram, but it didn't seem to be there anymore. Finally, something seemed to have been settled. The shearers approached him in the cautious, oblique way of men trying to hang back and walk forward at the same time. Daggy stepped forward, but only comparatively, in fact, his mates had all, without discussion, taken one step backwards in the choreography of caution. Uh, day," he said nervously. Rincewind gave him a friendly wave, and it was only halfway through when he remembered that he was still holding the shears. Daggy hadn't forgotten about them. Eh, uh, we ain't got five hundred squids till we get paid. Rincewind wasn't certain how to deal with this. 
Um, no worries, he said. This covered most things. So, if you're gonna be around... I just want to get to bugger up as soon as possible, said Rincewind. Daggy kept smiling, but turned around and went into another huddle with the rest of the shearers. Then he turned back. Maybe we could sell a few things? I'm not bothered about the money, actually, said Rincewind loudly. Just point me in the direction of bugger up. No worries. You don't want the money? No worries. There was another huddle. Rincewind heard hissed comments of, Get him out of here right now. Daggy turned back. I've got a horse you can have, he said. It's worth a squid or two. No worries. And then you'll be able to ride away? She'll be right. No worries. It was an amazing phrase. It was practically magical all by itself. It just made things better. A shark's got your leg? No worries. You've been stung by a jellyfish? No worries. You're dead? She'll be right. No worries. Oddly enough, it seemed to work. No worries, he said again. Got to be worth a squid or two, that horse, Daggy said again. Practically a bloody racehorse. There was some sniggering from the crowd. Mm, no worries, said Rincewind. Daggy looked for a moment as if he was entertaining the suggestion that maybe the horse was worth more than 500 squid, but Rincewind was still dreamily holding on to the shears, and he thought the better of it. Get ye to bugger up in no time, that horse, he said. No worries. A couple of minutes later, it was obvious even to Rincewind's inexperienced eye that while you could race this horse, it wouldn't be sensible to race it against other horses, at least ones that were alive. It was brown, stubby, mostly a thatch of mane, with hooves the size of soup bowls, and it had the shortest legs Rincewind had ever seen on anything with a saddle. The only way you could fall off would be to dig a hole in the ground first. It looked ideal. It was Rincewind's kind of horse. No worries, he said. Um, actually, one small worry. He dropped the shears. The shearers took a step back. Rincewind went over to the corral and looked down at the ground, which was churned from the hoofprints of the sheep. Then he looked to the back of the shearing shed. For a moment, he was sure there was the outline of a kangaroo. The shearers approached him cautiously as he banged on the sun-bleached planks, shouting, I know you're in there! Eh, that's what we call wood said Daggy. Wood, he added, for the hard of thinking. Made into a wall. Did you see a kangaroo walk into this wall? Rincewind demanded. Not us, boss. It was a sheep at the time, Rincewind added. I mean, it's normally a kangaroo, but I'll swear it turned into that sheep. The shearers shuffled uneasily. You're not going to say anything about woolly jumpers, are you? said one, almost timorously. What? What's knitwear got to do with it? Eh, that's a mercy anyway, the small shearer mumbled. You know, it's been doing that all the time, said Rincewind. I thought there was something wrong with that beer poster. Something wrong with a beer too? I'm not putting up with any more kangaroo nonsense. I'm off home, said Rincewind. Where's that horse? It was standing where they left it. He waved a finger at it. And no talking, he said as he swung his leg over it. This simply resulted in him standing over the horse. He was sure that somewhere under the overhanging mane, something sniggered. You gotta kind of sag down, said Daggy, and then you kind of lifts your legs kind of up. Rincewind did so. It was like sitting on an armchair. You sure this is a horse? Won it in a game of two up from a bloke from Goolala, said Daggy. Gotta be tough coming from the mountains. They breed some special to be sure-footed. He said it wouldn't fall off anything. Rincewind nodded. His type of horse, all right. The quiet, dependable type. Which way's bugger up? The men pointed. Right. Thank you. Giddy up. Uh, what's this horse called? Daggy seemed to think for a moment and then said, Snowy. Why Snowy? That's an odd name for a horse. Ah, uh, I used to have a dog called Snowy. Oh, right. That makes sense. Sense for here, anyway, I suppose. Well, good day, then. The shearers watched him go, which, at Snowy's pace, took some time. Had to get rid of him, said Daggy. He could put us on the dole in a day. 
One of the men said, Why didn't you tell him about the drop bears over that way? He's a wizard, ain't he? He'll find out. Yeah, but only when they bloody drop on his head. Quickest way, said Daggy. Daggy? Yep. How long did you say you'd had that horse? Ages. Won it off a bloke. Right? Right. Right. What? Only, did you always have it ages half an hour ago? Daggy's wide brow furrowed a little. He took off his hat and wiped his head with his arm. He looked at the disappearing horse and then at the sheds and then at the other men. Several times he started to speak, shut his mouth before he could get the first word out, and glared around him again. You all know I've had it for bloody ages, right? he demanded. Yes, right, ages. Won it off a bloke. Right, yeah, right. You must have done. Mrs Whitlow sat on a rock combing her hair. A bush had sprouted several twigs with rows of blunt, closely set thorns just when she needed them. Large, pink and very clean, she relaxed by the water like an amplified siren. Birds sang in the trees, sparkling beetles hummed to and fro across the water. If the senior wrangler had been present, someone could have scraped him up and carried him away in a bucket. Mrs Whitlow did not feel in any danger. The wizards were around, after all. She was mildly worried that the maids would be getting lazy since she wasn't there, but she could look forward to making their lives a living hell when she got back. The possibility of not getting back never entered her head. A lot of things never entered Mrs Whitlow's head. She'd decided a long time ago that the world was a lot nicer that way. She had a very straightforward view of foreign parts, or at least those more distant than her sister's house in Querm, where she spent a week's holiday every year. They were inhabited by people who were more to be pitied than blamed, because really they were like children. That is to say, she secretly considered them to be vicious, selfish and untrustworthy. And they acted like savages. Again, when people like Mrs Whitlow use this term, they are not, for some inexplicable reason, trying to suggest that the subjects have a rich oral tradition, a complex system of tribal rights, and a deep respect for the spirits of their ancestors. They are implying the kind of behaviour more generally associated, oddly enough, with people wearing a full suit of clothes, often with the same insignia. On the other hand, the scenery was nice, and the weather was warm, and nothing smelled very bad. She was definitely feeling the benefit, as she'd put it. Not to put too fine a point on it, Mrs Whitlow had left her corsets off. The thing that the senior wrangler insisted on calling the melon boat was, even the dean admitted, very impressive. There was a big space below deck, dark and veined and lined with curved black boards, very like giant sunflower seeds. Boat seeds, said the Arch-Chancellor. Probably make good ballast. Senior wrangler, don't eat the wall, please. I thought perhaps we could do with more cabin space, said the senior wrangler. Cabins, possibly. State rooms, no, said Ridcully, heaving himself back onto the deck. A vast shipmate, shouted the dean, throwing a bunch of bananas onto the boat and climbing up behind them. Quite so. Uh, how do we sail this uh, vegetable, dean? Oh, Ponder Stibbons knows all about that sort of thing. And, and, and where is he? Didn't he go off to fetch some bananas? They looked down at the beach where the bursa was stockpiling seaweed. He did seem a bit, um, upset, said Ridcully. Can't imagine why. Ridcully glanced up at the central mountain glowing in the afternoon sun. I suppose he wouldn't have done anything... Hmm, stupid, would he? he said. Arch-Chancellor, Ponder Stibbons is a fully trained wizard, said the dean. Thank you for that very concise and definite answer, dean, said Ridcully. He leaned down into the cabin. Senior Wrangler, we're going to look for Stibbons, and we ought to go and fetch Mrs Whitlow too. There was a shriek from below. Mrs Whitlow, how could we have forgotten her? In your case, only by having a cold bath, Senior Wrangler. As horses went, this one went slowly. It moved in a stolid, I-can-do-this-all-day manner that clearly said the only way you get me to go faster will be to push me off a cliff. It had a curious gait, somewhere faster than a trot but slower than a canter. The effect was a jolting slightly out of synchronisation with the moment of inertia in any known human organ, causing everything inside Rincewind to bounce off everything else. Also, if he forgot for a second and lowered his legs, Snowy went on without him. 
and this meant that he had to run ahead and stand there like a croquet hoop until he caught him up. But Snowy didn't bite, buck, roll over or gallop insanely away, which were the traits Rincewind had hitherto associated with horses. When Rincewind stopped for the night, the horse wandered off a little way and ate a bush covered with leaves the thickness, smell and apparent edibility of linoleum. He camped beside what he had heard called a billabong, which was just an expanse of churned earth with a tiny puddle of water welling up in the middle. Little green and blue birds were clustered around it, cheeping happily in the late afternoon light. They scattered when Rincewind lay down to drink and scolded him from the trees. When he sat up, one of them landed on his finger. "'Who's a pretty boy, then?' said Rincewind. The noise stopped. Up on the branches, the birds looked at one another. There wasn't much room in their heads for a new idea, but one had just turned up. The sun dropped towards the horizon. Rincewind poked very cautiously inside a hollow log and found a ham sandwich and a plate of cocktail sausages. Up in the trees, the budgerigars were in a huddle. One of them said, very quietly, Who? Rincewind lay back. Even the flies were merely annoying. Things began to sizzle in the bushes. Snowy went and drank from the tiny pool with a noise like an inefficient suction pump trying to deal with an unlucky turtle. It was nevertheless very peaceful. 